This is Ross Jones, your business coach with my weekly podcast show, Bold Business Bits, coming to you from Yorkshire. This is where I have a great conversation with a phenomenal female business boss. We share some of the bold stuff they do, lessons they've learned, adversities they've overcome, and the fun they have. And then I'll be dipping into my toolkit and sharing a top tip. Business can be lonely, so make sure you join us each week and be part of our show. So hello and welcome to Bold Business Bits podcast show. This is Ros Jones and today I'm delighted to be joined by Susanna Hammond, Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert for Thomson Reuters. Hello, Susanna. Ros, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So so that's a, a wonderful title, Susanna. How did you get to be Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert for Thomson Reuters? Well, that builds on... 30-ish years of doing risk and compliance in financial services firms, which makes me sound geriatric, to be perfectly frank. But my degree is actually material sciences, which is the study of metal, ceramics and polymers. And when I was leaving university a very, very long time ago, to be honest, there wasn't really much I was particularly interested in. So I went for a holding pattern, to be perfectly frank. Mm -hmm. Um, And that holding pattern was to become a chartered accountant. I went into the city. I joined Arthur Anderson, which I'm sure some people will have heard of. But for those who don't don't remember, it was one of the very big accountancy firms that had a spectacular fall from grace and no longer exists, basically. But anyway, I I qualified there. And then I went off to what was then a very uh, reputable merchant bank called Warburg's. Yes. And in the way accidents or chance and fate happen, um, I actually went to be interviewed by the finance director to go into the finance department. You know, being a chartered accountant seemed like a very sensible route. And about halfway through my interview, the head of HR suddenly stopped and looked at me and I had that horrid moment. I thought, my goodness, what have I said? And he (laughs) said, hang on one moment. And he went and got a gentleman called John Mayo, who was extremely eminent and previously the managing partner of what was Linklaters and Pains, and was then the new head of compliance for the Warburg Group. And the rest is history because I was introduced to John Mayo. I accepted a job in the compliance department and I was doing compliance pretty much ever since. So very winding path to compliance. So what was it in that interview? What happened that, that made that wonderful, spectacular connection? You must have said some, they obviously spotted some genius in you. <laughs> I wish it was genius. Uh, no, I, I think it was, I had a broader perspective on financial services mm-hmm. than simply financial statements. Yeah. And I was interested in the how as well as the what. And I mean, back then, and we are talking late 80s here, the compliance function and compliance as a concept really was quite in its infancy. Yeah. Um, you had, you know, people had reputations, firms had reputations. There was obviously a rule book, but the concept of a compliance function really was pretty new. And Warburg's was not the first to do it, but they were one of the people to really focus on compliance. And we had a compliance manual that became embedded, I think, from talking to my peer groups, 
much more quickly than perhaps in other firms because it was the Warburg's way of doing business at the time. And they were deeply ethical, deeply on point, and everybody understood that the how as well as the what was important. So I think that was at least part of the point being made by the HR guy that perhaps you'd be better suited over here. Interesting times at the time. It really was interesting times. A lot of things were in its infancy then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, as you know, I, I worked in the city, nothing like uh, the experience that you had, but I worked in the city. And one of the things I'm really interested in, though, because in those times, did you notice anything as a woman? Were there, were there particular challenges for you right then in, in that particular sector and at that time that you remember? I think being a professional woman in the city then was challenging. I didn't know it at the time, but Arthur Anderson had less than 10% of its maybe accountants input or in commerce were women. If you survived in inverted commerce, Arthur Anderson, as a woman, then you got a lot of brownie points. In fact, one of my very best friends, she and I got through Arthur Anderson together because we were almost the last women standing, to be frank, because it was a tough environment. You had to be very sure intellectually about your capacity and capability and never, ever doubt yourself in that sense. Never doubt the fact you've got the brain and you're not afraid to use it, to be frank. That was one of the things I really liked about Warburgs was that they were much more gender blind, to be frank, than Arthur Anderson. It was a a very nice change. And, And my immediate line manager was a lady, a lovely lady who's now Catherine Farquharson, who was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And that made a very big difference as well. Um, It was the first time I'd worked for a woman, which was amazing considering the years I was at Anderson's, but just never came up. So, yeah, you absolutely had to have a core of self-confidence about your ability, even though you often had to find some roundabout routes to deliver on what you needed to do. Yeah. How did you then move from that environment to join Thompson Reuters, which I know you didn't join Thompson Reuters, but Complinet became Thompson Reuters. Mm-hmm. So how did that how did that happen? Well, I was head of compliance at a firm called G Capital Bank, and that was professionally very challenging. They had a lot of issues, problems, challenges again. And whilst I was aware of at least some of those when I went in, once I sort of you know lifted the drains and had a look, there were even more, to be frank. And it was a very difficult time for GE Capital. And how long was I there? 15 months, perhaps? I sorted out, and I think I sorted out an awful lot of stuff for them. But to be frank, I was stopped enjoying what I was doing in the sense of being a head of compliance. It was more grind than anything else. And to be fair, that gave me the impetus to go and try something different. And Complinet was similar but different. For those who aren't really familiar with Complinet, it was the original RegTech, the original regulatory technology. And it was a technological solution that gave input and advice on regulatory change, among other things, to compliance officers. So it was the same core skill set, but from a very different perspective. Mm. And to be frank, I had no idea whether I could write then in that sense. Turns out I can and I really enjoy it. Equally, I didn't really know whether I could do 
webinars and TV and present. I mean, of course, you've done bits of presenting before, but to have that sort of capacity to get to the stage where you enjoy it and it becomes normal, if that makes sense. I used the fact I didn't really enjoy that last job to think, well, okay, I'm not enjoying this. What else can I do with my skill set? And I went out and did something sufficiently different, but using my same core skills, knowledge, awareness. And that was, did I work out 14 years ago? Yeah, yeah, a while ago, definitely a while ago. So what was it about your experience at G that was so so pivotal for you? Was it the, the work you were doing? Was it the people? I think there were several things. One, the problems at GE I had seen elsewhere, and it just felt like it was the same set of problems at just at a different place being presented again. Mm-hmm. And it was that slight level of frustration that, oh, for goodness sake, because not even no one learned, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the challenges with GE, I mean, the, their title was GE Capital Bank. And being a bank in the rule book has a huge level of obligation, expectation. I mean, the rules are immense. However, they were really a credit card company. So they were operating and thinking as a credit card company, which is relatively light touch, whereas the regulatory expectation was you're a bank. So why don't you look like a bank? So and it was that mismatch. So. The regulator was frustrated with the management and the management was frustrated with the regulator. And you can imagine that friction was not the most fun to manage. We got there, to be fair, we got there, but both sides had to sort of adjust their expectations, which just added another layer on top of getting the compliance functionality back in place. Yeah. You stop enjoying having to do the same things, fix the same problems, yeah. Again and again, yeah. to be frank. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that completely. That's why I changed my path as well. So, I mean, it was a massive, massive leap for you then, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. what was it that really attracted? I know you wanted to change, but what, and you talked, you know, you spoke just then about you didn't know you were a writer, but then you became a good, you know, a brilliant writer. So what was it that um, attracted you to it, apart from getting out of where you were before? Well, I'd actually used Complinet. I'd used Complinet, the solution, as a compliance officer. I'd used it at dear old HBOS. I'd used it at GE Capital Bank. And it's really good. It's useful. And it was, at the time, the first in the marketplace to do exactly what it did. Now there's lots of people who do various bits and pieces on it. So I wasn't going into something that was utterly unknown. I was going into something which I knew worked and I liked as a head of compliance and I knew its usefulness and so I was stepping into something I knew functionally was a good thing and had a future the bit that was I was completely uncertain about was whether or not I fitted into that and could deliver for them and that sort of thing yeah but because I've done compliance pretty much globally I could contribute in lots of different areas. I mean, it's not that I just write about UK regulation. I can write at the global helicopter level and in for specifically a number of jurisdictions. And coming back to, you know, people making the same mistakes, if you like, 
Equally, there is a growing body of this is what good or better practice looks like. Yeah. And that I can apply. Yeah. So my challenge, I suppose, was how do I get what's in my head out through my fingertips onto the keyboard in yeah. a way that other people can understand? Yeah. So one of the things I've always tried to do is make it as, or demystify it, to be frank. You don't make it complicated and use heaps of jargon. You make it as simple as possible, as though you are talking to somebody very new to compliance or someone who perhaps doesn't really do compliance, a senior manager who just needs to know what the issues are. Yeah. Have to be able to know it well enough that you can explain it to somebody else. Yeah. Hopefully that sort of paints that picture. So you're like a teacher, really? Yes. Yes. Or a mentor, perhaps a mentor is, is a bit better because hopefully the people I am talking to in that way at least have a wee bit of a clue what's going on. So is your your audience, is it anybody in financial services? Because everybody in financial services needs to have uh, needs to comply with the FCA, don't they? So Mm -hmm. is it everybody? So from a mortgage advisor right up to a bank and everything in between? Yes. Depending on what I'm talking about. What am I writing about today? Today I'm writing about the impact of technology change and on operational resilience and so on. Mm. And obviously that's going to be of more interest to the people involved in IT systems and all of the rest of it. However, you get IT change wrong and kind of the ripple effect can be horrendous for firms and, and their customers and their employees. So our primary audience is the compliance function, the risk function, but Senior managers need to understand compliance. There's personal liability and accountability now. I mean, very distinctly in the UK with the senior managers certification regime. But accountability regimes are proliferating around the world. Regulators have have really woken up to the fact that if you can hold a senior manager accountable for X, Y, and Z, surprisingly enough, X, Y, and Z happens rather better than if you don't. (laughs) So, yeah. That's what we're contributing to because it's very unfair if that senior manager who's responsible for something isn't fully aware of what that means and how to discharge that obligation. Yeah. So you've got to empower the compliance function to help that senior manager. Wow. And how do you keep up to date with everything then? Well... I read hugely. And also because, I mean, Complinet is now Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. I get all of those news feeds coming in. So that is my information source. But you just read and be aware and keep stitching things together. Because one of the other things is that you can have something happening in the US, you can have something happening in the UK, Dubai, Australia, whatever it happens to be. And you can stitch together global trends yeah. and say, well, actually, this is what the global focus now is. And their regulators talk to each other. I mean, uh, I think firms would prefer it if they didn't sometimes, but regulators definitely talk to each other. Yeah. And policy develops at several different layers. So, yes, there's um, a lot to keep track of. Yeah, awful lot to keep track sounds of. absolutely fascinating. Do you have any time for anything else in your life? Oh, yes. I have a big rambly old house, which I love. My garden, dog, family, 
I love reading for not work as well, which I enjoy very much. And I did enjoy travel, but um, surprisingly enough, that hasn't really happened lately. Um, so what's the impact of the pandemic and the situation we're in right now had on you, I guess, in business as well? Because I know you've got a team who presumably are home working. Or, or, yeah. yeah. So what's the, what's the impact been for you, you know, in business and, and personally, Susanna? Well, business-wise, we've instituted it's a weekly and our badge for it is keep self-isolation at bay meeting where we get everybody together and the one house rule is we don't talk about work so it's one hour once a week you can talk about anything but not work oh that's brilliant in but in in business hours yes absolutely great that's brilliant um because my team are a real mixture i mean they're great but it, it but then the sense that some people who live alone and they've gone from a complete office environment to working from home and basically being alone as well. So it's how you keep them as part of the team and engaged and making sure they're doing all right, to be perfectly honest. Because we've had, gosh, I think it's probably three lots of dates where we, oh, well, we'll all be back in the office in July. We'll all be back in the office in October. I think the latest one is July again, but July 2021. And we're now getting the sense that going back to the office full time is just not going to happen because that's not what the world will be looking like. So it's adapting and adjusting to the fact that all of my one-to-ones, because I've I've worked from home anyway, because I'm based in Yorkshire and that's just what happened. We figured out how to do TV through the laptop. So the fantastic Reuters TV people have figured out how we can make that all happen. We have huge numbers of Teams meetings in the sense, Teams with a capital T, so on on video. You try to operate as though you are all still very connected. It's just connected in a different way. In terms of me personally, it's on one level not been very different, but I, for instance, should have been in Toronto in October to launch a our fintech regtech report at the innovation hub there i should have been in stockholm to talk at a conference you know all of those things that should have happened just haven't or have become virtual so yeah. Yeah. I, I mean i have had roles where i traveled too much this seems to have gone to the other extreme perfectly <laughs> yeah. honest complete pendulum yeah. yes exactly exactly yeah yeah. And so um, what about in terms of the world of compliance? Has it has um, the pandemic had much impact on that? It has and it will do. And, and the reason I'm phrasing my answer like that is there's an awful lot of what's been badged regulatory forbearance. Oh, right. So the regulator has or regulators around the world have said, look, we understand pandemic very difficult times. Everybody's had to change very quickly. We are not going to launch any massive, you know, enforcement actions or this, that and the others, simply because we know firms are struggling just to stay upright, some of them. So what they've said to firms is please focus on good customer outcomes, because that's the sort of broad brush approach for firms. And we'll sort of play catch up when the pandemic is deemed to be over. So if you are compliance, you've not only got to have one eye on 
did we manage the good customer outcomes despite moving to remote working and having to make sure that all the policies and procedures and controls all still work while remote working is happening. But also, if you're compliance, I would suggest you're probably thinking about a post-pandemic review mm-hmm. to make sure you can evidence all of that happened. Because in regulatory terms, if, if you can't evidence it, it didn't happen. I mean, you could have done the best, most compliant job in the entire universe. If you can't evidence it, you, yeah. you're back to square one, to be frank. Mm-hmm. So... On one level, compliance hasn't changed at all because firms need to remain in compliance with both the rulebook and regulatory expectations, culture and conduct risk concerns, all that sort of thing. In another level, all of the pre-pandemic challenges won't have gone away, but you've just layered on top all of the pandemic challenges. So you could say, well, compliance just got even tougher, chaps. And you're going to have to figure out how you manage future flexible working on top of managing all of the other issues that were already there yeah wow it's amazing amazing career that you've had Susanna I I do know that you keep going from testing new technologies and new ideas just to develop yourself even more so tell us about the latest I know that you have a podcast yourself we do we launched it this year it's called compliance clarified and it's been fun actually it really has and lovely to just have a bit more time to chat about things because previously if I was talking about our cost of compliance report which is our our benchmark report and I'm talking about it it's either on a webinar which is in in little bite-sized chunks if you like talking with other people or it's on tv which is about a five or six minute slot so the podcast is an absolute luxury to chat for half an hour 40 minutes about the ramifications of the cost of compliance report, its findings, what they actually mean in practice. And you can just chat around things a bit more, which is just really nice. And we've had fabulous response. I mean, we've had 600-odd subscribers around the world already. And lots of lovely reviews and feedback. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And it's it's lovely to have another way to connect with people as well because you've got the TRRI, product which is a sort of a desk-based thing if you like to to access and that sort of thing but I love the fact the podcast is someone something people could listen to on the go or walking the dog or on the train if anyone's still getting on trains anymore so yeah I'm enjoying it we're probably up to episode episode five should be going out very soon so it's it's a very new series we're enjoying it I'm enjoying it very much and I think there is something about if you love something then it just gets better and better. And uh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. So, and is it on all the main platforms? So we just find it on? Yeah, it's on Apple, Spotify and Google, which I think are all the main platforms. Yeah. I hope yeah. we haven't missed out anything there. Okay, brilliant. Well, I'm sure people will be wanting to check you out on there. So just one more thing before we before we go, Susanna, is that one of the questions I like to ask my, my guests is, if somebody, so somebody's standing before you, a woman setting out, she wants to set out in business, asking you for your number one top tip, what would that be? I think it's believe in your own intellectual capability and capacity and keep building your own knowledge and awareness. I know people talk about transferable skills and all the rest of it. Well, yes, obviously, but build your own knowledge, build your own understanding and then believe in it. 
because that will just take you so far. It really will. And if you're building it, I'm hoping you're enjoying it. And then that, again, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you'll succeed in it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much, Susanna. It's been brilliant speaking to you this morning. Thank you very much. Lovely conversation. In our conversation, Susanna revealed that she'd left a career path to join Complinet that she was familiar with but didn't know whether she would fit in. I was reminded of the conscious incompetence ladder, especially as Susanna seems to deliberately tackle different ways of doing things just because she wants to try them and learn how to get good at them. You're possibly familiar with the conscious incompetence model. Here's how it goes. At the bottom of the ladder, the competency ladder, on the first rung, if you like, is unconscious incompetence. This is where we don't know that we have a deficiency in a certain skill. For example, if we've never thought about how useful it might be to drive a car, we have unconscious incompetence. We've never tried to drive a car, so we don't know that we can't do it. But then we decide it would be useful to learn a new skill, so we give it a go. For example, we take our first driving lesson. And we quickly realise that we are lacking the skill. We become consciously incompetent. I remember the first time I sat behind the driving wheel and uh, couldn't even steer. So I was definitely consciously incompetent. We know we have things to learn and that by adapting what we learn and practising and practising, we will improve. And then as we get more proficient in our new skill, we move up to the next rung, which is conscious competence. We know that we're getting better at driving, for example, although we still have to concentrate and think in order to perform. Over time, the skill enters the unconscious part of our brain. It becomes second nature. With continued repetition, we can do it instinctively and we behave and become unconsciously competent. Then what happens? Well, we might then decide we want to learn to drive an articulated lorry or a racing car. And so back to the bottom of the ladder we go to unconscious incompetence. We don't know until we try it whether we can actually do it or not. And so it is with all new skills. We have to be willing to get ourselves out of unconscious incompetence and be prepared to be consciously incompetent, to stretch ourselves and be willing to learn new skills and practice until, as Susanna said, we enjoy it. We become consciously competent and have fun with it. So... This is Ros Jones, Bold Business Bits podcast show. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Please subscribe and listen to us on the next one. See you later. Bye for now. This has been your Ros Jones, Bold Business Bits podcast show. If you'd like any further information about anything we've discussed today, please just get in touch. Go to businesscoachingyorkshire.co.uk. Please join me again next week when I'll be speaking with another phenomenal female business boss with bold business bits. And remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening. Listener.